Yolanda girl. Jelly. <laughs> yeah, Yolanda's vocals. For the win. Or lack thereof. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. We are back with another episode of Yes Girl. And you can sing, Yolanda. Stop it. Hey, everybody. Corey is missing today. Yes, she is. She's uh, once again living her best life like I was a few weeks ago. Yes, she's Real actually Corey. in New Orleans. <gasps> I'm jealous. Which is amazing. Preparing for our festival. So be there June 30th. We'll be in NOLA. Or like we say, you will be hearing about it. Yes, you and will. And it will be all over your feed. Yes. And you will be asking yourself, why didn't I book those tickets? Yes. <laughs> Yolanda, girl, so who's on the show today? Ooh, we have Charlemagne the God. Um, radio personality that many of you know from The Breakfast Club. Also co-host of Brilliant Idiots, which is a podcast. Listen to it. Check it out. Also, he has that show on MTV, too, which I love. Charlemagne gets a lot of checks. Charlemagne does get a lot of checks. Charlemagne works. Yes. <laughs> so he came here to talk to us particularly about, because now he can add author to his bio, because mm-hmm. he has a new book called Bra- Black Privilege. I'm sorry, not Brack. Black Privilege. It's a good, oh, it's a good privilege. title. Yes, it's a great title. It's so he came, memoir. spoke to us. We had a live audience. It's really exciting. Um, yeah, so let's get ready for that. And I missed it, so tell me what you guys talked about. I mean, Ooh. I feel like I could wait for the interview, but I want, you know. Oh, my God. We talked about everything. He was so open, which is highlights. That's the thing. If anybody is into interviewing, it is so much fun when the person that you're interviewing is completely open and not guarded. And just Charlemagne talked about everything from the time, you know, he used to work for Wendy Williams, which is how a lot of us got to know right, him. Right, that's when I discovered him. Yeah. He was good then, too. He was really great. He also talked about, you know, the criticism that he gets about people think that he does not like black women. And he tried, he came to kind of straighten that up a little bit because there were some of us who were giving him the side eye for like three, four months. Like, what? You know what? I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You know, we work at Essence, we're editors. You know, it says that on our bio on Twitter and Instagram. People would often tweet me their POV and different things about how they feel about Charlemagne. Yeah. Like, black women weren't always here for him. They're not always here for him. Yeah. So he cleared that up. He did. But also, I thought it was really sweet because you are at the essence. Somebody start playing the, the um, organ. The, the, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> the essence. <laughs> So he did talk about, you know, raising two black girls. He has two daughters, which a lot of people don't know about. And the fact that he married his childhood sweetheart. I do love that about his story. Did not know that. So he goes in about all of these things. Goes in all about that. And they're both from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. So it started from the bottom, now we're here. Not to say that, you know. (laughs) Okay, so there's a great interview coming up. But before that, Mm -hmm. you know we got hot topic. Yes. This week was lit, as usual. Yes. Hot topics. You know, there's always something to talk about. Thank you, internet and TV <laughs> and all of the above. But before we even go into that, we're kind of on the, it's like the end of prom and graduation season. Yes. Everything on my Discover feed on Instagram is like somebody's lit prom cake or graduation cake or dress. Are you seeing this? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I know you are the, you were probably prom queen, weren't you? You know, I wasn't. <laughs> I was the president of the prom of planning committee. <laughs> I did a, I had a lot of jobs in high school. I was the ultimate hustler. <laughs> Newspaper prom oh committee. I think I was even in the gospel choir. Oh I played sports. God. I was a cheerleader. No shocker there. Um, <laughs> varsity. But honestly, prom was a moment. I remember I lived for getting ready for prom senior year. You? No, I you didn't I care, was, did you? I thought I was oh my god, I was that girl in, you were too in cool. high school. No, I wasn't too cool. I thought I was like an activist. <laughs> oh, so you were anti prom? So we boycotted the prom. Tell me everything. <laughs> Why? Just in general? Because we were like I went to a, a predominantly white school high school mm-hmm. and uh we just thought like you, mm-hmm. um, we thought that you know, the way that, you know, people of color were being treated at the school was not right. So we boycotted the prom. Mind you, there were about five of us that boycotted the prom. <laughs> and nobody went at all. Nobody like, did you stand went. outside with signs? Like, were you no, all we didn't the way even committed? go. We didn't even go. We just, we just stayed and, like, like my school was in the woods. So we, like, went to the woods and, like, did our At least own you thing. made a night of it. <laughs> I'm not mad at you for standing up for what you believed in at that age. But so you know funny. what? It's interesting. My, my high school was, like, more of, like, a melting pot. Yeah. Um, so much so that I really wasn't even ready for life outside of that because everybody really got along. Yeah. So there, we were all ready. There was nothing to protest. It was, you know, it was it was all about, like, what are we doing after we did the boat cruise around New York? 
Nice. We were that school, nice. guys, in New York City. <laughs> but it was a moment. I just That's remember nice. shopping for the dress. and the, So we see you, everybody out there, with your prom dresses your prom, and your yes. moments. It, be excited. Enjoy it. Yes. I told this girl the other day, her prom is next weekend. I was like, I know that you're going to roll your eyes when people tell you that this is their best moments of your life. But it Please is. believe them. It really is. I was like, I'm only 34 and I'm already like, girl, can I go? Can we trade? Wait, I have to tell you, for my graduation, What'd I wore do? a burlap dress. <laughs> you did not. I love it. It was so funky. I was very funky at 17. Oh my god, I <laughs> it was really good. love it. Okay, Yolanda was too cool for all of oh, us. Oh please, I was in not high cool. school. Anyway. I was a nerd, but you know, I made <laughs> I made it happen. Don't you ever wish you could go back to high school, Yolanda? I don't. Okay, yeah, that's that was. I'm one of those people. I really love. <laughs> no. I love memories, but I'm not very nostalgic. I just want to relive the good parts, yeah. like the greatest hits. If I could go back and play my greatest hits VHS or cassette tape of high school and then hop back in my time machine, go back to iPhone time, I would be good. I love it. <laughs> also, T.I. and Tiny, the Family Hustle finale. Yes. It was sad. Which was everybody was talking about. It was really upsetting. Yeah. I'm going to they... leave that to you because you're the love queen. Right. So, um, short and sweet of it. Mm-hmm. We knew that they were divorcing. If you listen to Essence uh, Yes Girl podcast, previous yes. episode we had with Tiny, she mm-hmm. really talked about the fact that they are done and she is done. Please go check out that episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss great episodes like that. But um, we got to watch it unfold on the show. Um, it was uh, tough to watch. Yeah. You know, this was really them sitting at a table, confronting each other about the wrongs they felt they did to each other. And essentially, Tiny said, you cheated on me with the woman I introduced you to. Wow. And... T.I. is like, but you took a photo with Floyd Mayweather. Mm. And women all over the world went, but wait. Apples, apples and oranges? oranges? <laughs> 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 so we just said the same thing. Like, sir. And I think T.I. might have been officially canceled as mm. of Sunday. I mean, was that Monday? As of Monday? Damn. Because I mm, don't really feel that's... like that's the same. Like, why is that even the same? Like, why is yeah. that in the same conversation? And then he kept saying, you know, I'm at odds with this man. And she was like... You slept with a woman I introduced you to. Damn. That makes it worse, in my opinion. Hmm. Adultery has to be hard enough. Finding out the person you love is with someone else has to be hard enough. But realizing that you put you you said, hey, you meet you. And then they had, oof. Mm-mm. And was it the first affair? Or was the first, I mean, it was one of many. I mean, T.I. You get the and, yeah, T.I.'s name and affair have been in the headlines together, allegedly, reportedly, hmm. for a very According long time. According to Instagram. According to Instagram. And TMZ and all of the above, <laughs> but it just seems like you know Tiny is breaking free. She talked to us. She seemed good. Yeah. Please listen to the, the interview we did with her. Yeah. A few weeks ago, she was good. She was light. She yeah. was better. She is. Yeah. So what we are watching now is something that already unfolded. Okay, Kofifi. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Trump. Yes. Kofifi. Can someone tell us what they? I mean, I think Trump. Okay, so Trump. The tweet heard round. <laughs> The midnight hours. Yes, Trump obviously fell asleep mid-tweet. That's what I think happened. Yes. What did he write? Come, we gotta, what is it? We the press Kofi Oh, my God. The press Kofi <laughs> I mean, I'm convinced that he was... I mean, everybody knows. He was trying to say press coverage. And then he said Kofi oh, I think he fell asleep Kofi-fi. mid-tweet, though. He probably did. It was like... Boom, 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 boom. And then he pressed send. Yeah. That means he just lights out. Yeah. He was tired from that international trip. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, so much to talk about really quickly. Tiger Woods, who, by the way, on the police report was, you know, arrested and uh, arrested for DUI. And allegedly, reportedly. Arrel- well, I don't know if that part is allegedly. Well, they arrested yeah, him for DUI. They arrested but him. You were telling me he wasn't drunk. Yeah, they said he was not drunk. Okay. But he was under the influence of uh, pills. Oh, you're right. So there multiple that is influences. still um, DUI. Um, but yeah, I think it was interesting the decline of Tiger Woods, man. A prayer. Uh, yeah, he's been canceled for quite some time now. Yeah. And he's, you know, on the police report, if you saw, they said he was, they didn't say Cablanation on the ethnicity. Yolanda, please tell the people what Cablanation is, because I needed a refresher on this. I did not know this man said this. If everybody remembers Cablanation, is Caucasian, Black, and Asian. And he insisted that we call he, him Cablanation. So I don't know if the police at the police department <laughs> remembered, because all they put was Black. black. Tiger, you're black, boo. Mm. You're black. I mean, that's great that you made up a name for yeah. your multiracial ness. Ness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. we all can do that now thanks to our, you know, all of our ancestry reports and whatnot. Yeah. But we're not gonna get that crafty. You're still a black man and yeah. Yeah. So when I'm having deep thoughts, 
I'm Uh-oh. like, but wait, who gets to prove? Who gets to choose what my ethnicity is, though? I mean, I'm I hear on a you. Devil's advocate kind of thing. I get it. I also just don't care about anything Tiger's doing. Uh, you know, you know, not to be shady. He's <laughs> hard. It's hard to. Say. <laughs> no shade. You know what I mean? Like he went from like the goat of golf to like the biggest like tragedy. Yeah. Like you're a cheater. You're a like. Didn't he go from like being one of the greatest yeah, players of was. all time to one of the worst? He not was. to take away from what he accomplished. No one has to be on top all the time. But I feel like he gives me like a sense of like he threw it all away. Mm. Not that it just left, you know. Like, or my, I don't, you know, I don't follow. You know what? I think he's he should be on Iyanla. Yes, he Iyanla needs to fix his life. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to fix his life. Yeah. Does he have a woman right now? Of course like, he does. Who? He's Tiger Woods. I don't okay. know. Somebody. Somebody. But he cheated on his ex-wife with yes. like a million people. Yes. Allegedly, reportedly, a million people. <laughs> it was a lot, literally. And I think that's when I was like, okay, we're done here. Yeah. And I don't think I've read anything with his name in the headline sense. There's a lot of other things we could talk about, like Charlamagne the God on the show. Yes, coming right up. Let's do it. Hey, hey, Woo! hello. Charlamagne the God is in the building. Good afternoon, hey. everybody. How are y'all today? All right. Thank you. You are first live podcast guest, so thank you. Thank you for having me. It is our privilege, get it, privilege. There you go. You <laughs> smart. It's a privilege I am to be smart. here. Okay, good. Well, we want to first by saying we are fans. Yes. So supporters. A, I no, like we're that fans. word fans. I like supporters. Oh. Supporters. Okay, we are supporters yes. of Charlemagne the God. Thank you very much. I first was introduced to you from the Wendy Williams experience back in the day. And I'll be honest with you, when you left, there was a hole. Like I was like, where did Charlemagne go? Where were you? So we, but now we, the Breakfast Club, Uncommon Sense, Brilliant Idiots, all of that, you got receipts now. And I'll be honest, so clearly um, I've read this book a lot. I've got food stains on it. <laughs> I took off the cover because I wanted to get in it. Um, and I was telling Yolanda this story. So I've, I got your book and I was on a flight back from LA and in my section, I was in coach, keeping it real. I was, my seat was the only one that didn't have a TV. Like it was the only one not working. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I was on a <laughs> United. <laughs> yeah. yeah, United, United. And I was like, well, I guess I got to get into this book. I read 195 pages straight. Wow. Yeah. And I did not want to put it down. Um, and I, what it was surprising about the book is how inspirational it is. I wasn't expecting that from you. I thought you were going to just, like, trash all the people you've interviewed over the years. I thought that's what I was, I thought this was going to be a book, book of tea. <laughs> that's the next Just celeb tea. But I really was inspired by your story. Thank so. you. Yeah. Thank you. It is a real privilege to talk to you today. So Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. But we do want to go all the way back because maybe some people don't know. But like, where did you get your start in radio? How did radio come about? There's um, pick up the book for the sort of the back back story. But let's start from the part where you become on radio. Well, I'm from uh, South Carolina, a small town called Monk's Corner. I was born in Charleston. Um, you know, I was like most kids growing up, most kids who you know, we're, we're, we're doing the wrong things. Like it started off with me just being a class clown, being disruptive in class. And then, you know, after I got kicked out of a couple of high schools, I was in the street a lot. And then I started, you know, selling crack and, you know, carrying guns and doing all the stupid stuff that kids do when they're not listening to their elders the way that they should. And um, it just came a point in time where I, I just realized in order to change my life, I had to change my lifestyle because my father would always hammer it in, in my head, which I talk about a lot in the book. He said, yo, if you don't change your lifestyle, you're going to end up in jail, dead, or broke sitting under a tree somewhere in Monk's Corner. So literally, that's kind of what started happening. Like when I started going to jail for myself and then seeing people around me go to jail and actually get prison terms, then people around me were actually getting killed. And then like cousins who I used to look up to and love were literally sitting under the tree, drinking all day, doing nothing with themselves. I was like, yo, this is real. And for whatever reason, I always thought about the future. I always realized that whatever I did in my life today directly impacts what happens in your life tomorrow. I don't know if I saw like Back to the Future or something and really believed in the space-time continuum. Like if I don't do this now, then this won't happen later. So it's just like I started working a bunch of odd jobs. Like anything not to be in the street hustling. Plus I was on probation, so I had to have a job anyway. So I, I worked at a warehouse. I did telemarketing. I worked at a flower garden. I worked at a clothing store in the mall called Demo. Like I just did anything that I had to do 
in order to stay out of the street. And then, like, you know, like a lot of young black kids, I wanted to rap, you know, because, you know, the people that I saw who were successful that, that, that looked like me were usually in entertainment or athletics. So I was like, you know, I'm a rap. So when I started rapping, I'd be hanging out at this recording studio, and I met this guy named Willie Will. He was a radio personality in Charleston at the time. And I just asked him, like, how did he get in the radio? And he told me, he was like, I went down there and got an internship. And I was like, it was, it was that easy? He was like, yeah. Now, mind you, this is 1998 in Charleston, South Carolina. You don't got to jump through the hoops you got to do now, give blood and your firstborn <laughs> like you do now to get an internship. So I went down there and I got the internship, and that's, that's, that's how I got in the radio game. And I haven't looked back ever since. And you started out, were you a personality or you were just like... No, I was uh, behind, the scenes. behind the scenes. I was in promotions. Like, you know, I would literally be driving the station vehicles and going with the different radio personalities to, to, to their, what we call remotes, where you know, I'd set up the tents and put up the posters and hand out the CDs for people. And eventually I got hired in the promotions department. So it's basically, I was doing the same things I was doing as an intern, but I was just getting paid for it. And like, I would, you know, get the jocks pizza and, you know, being that I used to sell drugs, I knew where the weed was at, I can get the weed. Like, I, I was that guy. Like, I would not leave the radio station. Cause you gotta think, when I got the job as an intern at Z93 Jams, like, that was the most positive thing I'd ever done in my life. And coming from where I come from, working at this big heritage station was a big deal. Like, I would do things I wasn't supposed to do. I would take, like, the station vehicle and drive it home. So like, so like if a, if if, if, if a, needed yeah, you. if they needed me, they had to call me. Even if it was another intern that was supposed to be there on the schedule, I'm gonna be there too. You know, I would yeah. I, I'd show up too. Oh, I got the vehicle, I'll bring it back. Like you know, so that's the type of person I was. Yeah. And just hanging around the radio station, like uh, the guy, the same guy, Willie Will, because we used to rap together. He would call me into the studio. Like he'd be like, I'd be just sitting there. He'd be like, Yo, come talk on the mic with me. So that's what I would do. Like I'd just be in there talking about whatever was going on and um, eventually the music director at the time, Ron White, he was just like, yo, you ever thought about being on the radio? And I was like, yeah, I have, <laughs> even though I hadn't, but I wasn't gonna say no. And um, so they started putting me on Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And that didn't last long because I was scanning all the church folks. I was gonna say, that's usually the gospel hour. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So they started putting me on Saturday night, seven to midnight. But I started off like real old school radio. Like I did what we call voice tracking, which that doesn't even happen anymore. Voice tracking is when you, uh, you record your voice and they play your, your, your voice back over the air. So that's what I started off doing. Then they started putting me live 7 to midnight on Saturdays after I got my feet wet with the voice track thing. But, I mean, radio is just my passion. It's what I love to do, and I, I haven't looked back since. Nice. You nice. talk in the book um, about some key things you learned from being Wendy Williams. Can you walk us through how you got to the William Williams experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a uh, – let me see. By the time I got to Wendy, I worked at Z93 Jams in Charleston. And Z93 Jams was like the heritage station, so it was like the big dog. Like, you know, you don't leave Z93 Jams. But I knew that if I stayed there, somebody would have to die uh, before I got a full-time position, because that's just the type of station it is. So a new station came in the market called Hot 98.9, and um, I left Z93 to go over there and uh, do, do radio full-time. They offered me full-time, 7 to midnight, my own show, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. So I went and did that, and um, that was my first firing. That's the first time I ever got fired. And then... Um, <laughs> I went to Columbia, South Carolina to do radio at a station called the Big DM 101.3 and they flipped formats. So I was out, but I wasn't out like no more than a day because they actually had bought their competitor, which was Hot 103.9. And um, I went over there to do radio and Inner City Broadcasting owned WBLS and they owned Hot 103.9 and the station, the Big DM in Columbia. So they started syndicating Wendy on that station. And so like Wendy would come into the market and, you know, we would just... We would show her love. Now, the first time I, I actually met her, she was sitting in the studio trying to do her show. I'm young. I just want to network. I got mixtapes. I got parody songs I think she might like. So I walk in there trying to push this on her, and she's like, yo, take, get the fuck out. Take that mixtape shit to my husband. And that didn't bother me. I was just like, okay, well, where's your husband? And, he, and she was like in the other room. So I went in the other room and, you know, gave him the stuff and started a conversation with him. It was funny, too, because I had a mixtape out at that time called Hate is Necessary, because my mentality was people who were honest, for whatever reason, they would always call them haters. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I felt like truth is necessary, so I just called it Hate is Necessary. And I had her on the cover. It was like her and, like, Star and Buckwild, and I think like Bill O'Reilly at the time, somebody like that. And he was like, what you trying to say? My wife's a hater? And then I was like, no, I was explaining it to him. I just think she tells the truth, and people think truth is hating. And he's like, yo, I like that. So that's kind of how the relationship started. And um, 
they moved her show because she was on in the afternoon. So then I explain all this in the book, but she moved all, she, and I still want y'all to buy the book, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> she, she, she moved, they moved her show to 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. instead of in the afternoon because the program director at the time was, um, was, was popular in that area. So he just kind of like fought to get her moved, so they moved her, but they would repeat the show over and over. Like they wasn't even putting in the new shows. And I was a, 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 a huge listener of Wendy at that time. So I just called her husband like, yo, they keep repeating the show. And he was like, word. He was like, I'm going to come down there. So he came down. I picked him up from the airport. He heard that they was repeating the show. Uh, we kicked it that weekend. And then, like, they demoted me to one day a week, that station. It's a long story. I'm going to make it short. The, they demoted me to one day a week. The reason they demoted me, because I've always had a big mouth. And there was a club in the market at the time. And it was always an urban legend that the guy at this club was putting date rape drug and girls drinks, but nobody could prove it. But eventually, this one girl actually went and pressed charges on the guy. So when she did that, you know, it was public record. I took his police record, put it on my MySpace page. I'm like, yo, I don't think we should be supporting this club if this is what they're doing to people. And um, the club was an advertiser at a radio station. So they ended up suing me. <laughs> that little thing. <laughs> yeah, they, they ended up suing me but for defamation of character. And it was like, even though my client did get arrested for this. It wasn't my place to make it public, but it was already public. But the radio station didn't fight for me. They ended up settling for $2,000. Demoted me to one day a week because I was on six days a week. And uh, when Kev heard about that, he actually thought they had demoted me because of me dropping the dime and they was repeating the show and then him going back to corporate in New York and raising hell. So he was like, yo, fly up to New York next week. We having a party. Flew up to New York. Wendy was in the party. She was drunk. She told me to come on her show the next day. I didn't care that she was drunk. You can't tell me stuff like that. I'm going to hold you to it. So the next you day. You said it. Yeah, the next I'm day sure. I was calling them 100 miles per hour like Wendy told me to come on the show. So they asked me to come on the show, and I went and did the show. I was there for 25 minutes, and that night they was offering me a position. I didn't even know she was looking for a co-host. But they told me, they was like, yo, we can't pay you, but we can give you a place to stay. I'm fine. I'm out. Because, you know, I'm the type of person I recognize opportunity when it's not a paycheck attached to it. So I, I took that gig. And I knew that if I did what I was supposed to do with Wendy, I could basically write my own ticket. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened. And also in the book, you, you kind of spell out, like, you were staying in their house. Mm -hmm. You weren't really getting paid that much. If not getting paid at all. You weren't getting paid at all. They, um, Wendy, you know, would give me some money under the table because I would, like, you know, do some writing for her and stuff. Like, she had different columns. Mm -hmm. She was, like, I think at the time she was writing for, like, a magazine called Hip Hop Weekly. I don't even know if Hip Hop Weekly is still out. And, and then she was like writing for like us. So I'd, I'd be like doing a little writing for her and you know doing the columns and she'd put her stamp on it. And yeah. so she'd give me some money for that every now and then. But that was like basically for a year and a half, I wasn't, I wasn't getting paid. So you were only on the show for a year and a half? No, I was, on like this, I was on there for, uh, I was on there from like February of 06 to November 2nd, 2008. The reason I remember the exact date is because the next day President Barack Obama became yeah. president-elect. Oh. So the change that, you know, Barack was saying he was going to bring, it definitely was a change because I got my ass fired on November 2nd, oh, no. <laughs> 2008. Now, one of the most parts in the book that really resonated with me because I'm a parent is right after that, you had a very humbling you know, in the words of Kendrick, be humble. Yeah. You were humbled. Can you talk about what happened right after that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a stern believer in uh, divine misdirection, so to speak. Like, my daughter was born June of 2008 that year. And I got fired November 2nd of 2008. And I, I couldn't do anything but be a stay-at-home dad. Like, my pride wouldn't allow me to go to the unemployment office to collect those unemployment checks. I'm like, man, I've just been on Wendy's show for the past few years. She got me all on VH1. I'm not about to be in New York at the start of the social media era <laughs> in the unemployment line. So my, my, my now wife was, was holding it down, you know, going to pay the bills and stuff. But I, I, I never would want to change that because, like, my, my first daughter is really a daddy's girl. And I think it's because of that time, you know? Like, I'm fixing the bottles and changing the diapers and you know, rocking her to sleep, the ghost face. Like, I'd have ghost face. Because ghost face had this song called Love with Music Soul Child. If you ever heard that song, it's like real soothing. And for whatever reason, that song would always put her to sleep. So I'd be rocking her to sleep with that, with that record. So it was just like, I wouldn't change that time for the world. But it's almost like I, I, like I truly believe in divine misdirection because I feel like God wanted that for me. He wanted me to sit down and really embrace this thing 
called fatherhood. I, I got two daughters now, but at the time, that was my first daughter. And, you know, a lot of times in this business, we just always constantly going, constantly moving. I didn't even realize I was missing, like, really formative years of her early development, you know? So I feel good that I got to sit my ass down for those eight, nine months and really just be there to be a father. So in the book, you're also super supportive of women. You even have a chapter called... Contrary to popular belief. <laughs> you even have a chapter called Working With Women. But yeah, you do get the rep that, you know, you don't like black women, you don't like women. And yesterday you posted something. You were at The Root yesterday and you had a whole... Um, Oh, yeah, because I mean... Moment about talking about where's this coming from. Yeah, like, one meeting with Tommy Lauren just ruined... <laughs> changed uh, everything. Changed the whole narrative. But I was just like... I mean, it's interesting, though, because I, I, I had the conversation with the, the Root, but it was like, um, you know, they always say black women are invisible, and I'm like, I, I understand that, but I think a lot of times, like, y'all are even invisible to yourselves because I've been standing next to black women my whole life. <laughs> like, whether, whether it was with Wendy or even when I started to get my own platforms, I always want strong sisters around me just because I feel like, I, I'm the type of person, I'd rather keep the sisters around me because I know they keep you out of trouble and they smart. So it's just like, where was y'all when I was doing all of this prior? Like, you see this, you see me standing next to this young white woman one time and all of a sudden I hate black women. But you just, you know, before that, like, where was y'all? And even The Root at the time, I remember The Root wrote an article and they was like, you know, Charlamagne even has uncommon sense, and he's never had any black feminists on the show except for Jamela Lemieux. And I'm like, Crystal was on this show every week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so why, you know, so that was just, that was just weird to me. But, you know, it's just one of those things, I guess, over time, you got to show and prove by actions and deeds, not words and lip service. How you know? did you feel when, when that happened, when, Tom, Tom, I don't, how do you say your name? Tom, Tommy. Tommy, Tommy Loren. Oh, shit, I don't forgot. Tam <laughs> like, Tommy Tammy Lauren. Tommy oh. Yeah. When she came on the show, and there was she a, didn't a come swift, on the show. I'm sorry, but you talked about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a swift backlash. It was everywhere, social. On you know, how did how did you respond to that? Like, on a personal note. Personal note. Um, I, I, I'm never above getting checked by my community. You know, I just it's just one of those things where you got to step back and be like, hold up, what, what did I do? Did I play this wrong? Like, you know, because I, I told everybody before I even went to go meet with her that I was going to meet with her, because she was supposed to come on The Breakfast Club, but I guess after the Trevor Noah thing, you know, they, they pulled the plug on that. And you know, Viacom had this whole, they really wanted me and her to do a show together. And every woman in the building was like, Charlamagne, you Don't better not. That. And I was Don't like, I have no plans <laughs> to. Glad you didn't do <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But you know, I was listening to her, her rhetoric, and being that I had a, a open line of communication with her, I did want to have that conversation. I would rather have had that conversation on the Breakfast Club, which I had every intention of doing. But when she didn't come, and you know, Viacom wanted me to, to still meet with her, I went up to the building, and we did have a conversation about why her rhetoric is so dangerous for our community. And she explained why she felt the way she did about some things, and I explained to her why she was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if she kind of like, I don't even know if she, I'll tell you what happened. What happened was we was in the room and she was talking about the Black Lives Matter. And you know, she had compared them to the KKK. And I was like, well, that's just not accurate. And you know, she was in Dallas that night that uh, that guy went rogue and shot all those police officers. Mm -hmm. And she said she was getting death threats and her parents were getting death threats. And um, she, she was, you know, that's, that was, that's where her thinking of BLM came from. And plus she saw some video where they were marching saying, kill all cops. So I go, well, you're a Trump supporter, right? And she's like, yes. I said, you think all Trump supporters are racist? And she was like, no, but when I go to these rallies, I do see pockets of racists you know, at these, at these Trump rallies, but all of us aren't racist. Some of us just want somebody that's going to drain the swamp and be anti-government. So I'm like, well, if you can see the nuance in Trump supporters, how come you can't see the nuance in, in BLM or people who claim to be BLM? And she didn't quite grasp it. The other white men in the room had to be like, no, that's exactly the same thing. And then, you know, we came downstairs and TMZ was there. So it was just kind of like, Oh, shit. Damn. <laughs> I can't run. It got me. You know, that wasn't like something I was, I was, I was trying to broadcast it. But then I took the picture with it, too, because I thought it was going to be funny. I took a picture with it and put it in black and white. And I put, do you see color? Because that's what she had said on Trevor Noah the night before. So that's just me thinking it was going to be funny. But nah, the community didn't find that one yeah. too funny. Yeah. So it's like I said, I'm not above being, being, being checked by, by my community at all. Like, if I did something wrong and my community didn't like it, by all means let me know. I mean, I give people the credit I, they deserve for being stupid every day with Donkey of the Day, so my community can give me the credit 
I deserve for being for being stupid in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talking about being checked, because one thing you also you don't you don't let you don't you check celebrities. You check them when they're whack. You check you tell them when they're good. Where you know I know that question is kind of cliche. Like where does that come from? But what did give you that? What empowered you to be like when Kanye walked in? You were like you were Kanye Kardashian, like or just in your long career. <laughs> yeah. I'm just using that because I know that's an example in the book. But you know you're consistently with that. But you also in the book talk about how people respond to it in a positive way. Because I never understood how radio personalities and television personalities would be sitting down with people and not asking the most obvious. Yeah question mm -hmm. you know I mean you'd be hearing all of these behind the scenes things especially now that we're older a lot of things that we we know happened back in the day we was like well what damn why come nobody ever asked him about that mm -hmm. you know so it's just like for me I always was like when I get in that position I'm just gonna ask the most obvious thing I'm gonna say what's what's on my mind and plus I you know I talk about it in the book I never knew how to do radio because I didn't go to school or anything like that I didn't have any training so it's just like when they put me on the air only thing I could do is rely on myself and what do you do in the hood? We talk shit all day. Like, that's what we do. We talk about people. We talk about each other. We talk about how we're feeling about things. So that's literally what I would do. And then, you know, you come to find out why people don't have an opinion is because it's literally people telling you not to have an opinion. Like, I literally remember, you know, uh, one of my early radio experiences, the program director telling me, you have too much of an opinion. Radio personalities aren't supposed to have an opinion. They're just supposed to be biased. So I'm like, really? But then, you know, I started hearing Howard Stern and Wendy Williams and mm -hmm. Star and Buck Wild. And I'm like, well, they got opinions. So why shouldn't I be able to have one? And I kept having my opinion and I kept getting fired. And um, <laughs> I, got, I got fired four times. So by the time the Breakfast Club did hire me, they knew exactly who they, who they were getting. The easiest thing for me to do would have been to conform a long time ago, play the politics, play by the rules, do what these people are asking me to do, but then that wouldn't make what I do fun. Yeah. Then it's work. I don't do things for a check. I don't like work. I like to have fun. Fun is me doing this. If I get fired in the process, fine. Somebody else will hire me to have some fun. Mm -hmm. And you know, it took four times of me <laughs> having fun for me to really, really be having fun now doing what I'm doing on The Breakfast Club. But it's just like, that's, that's just where it comes from. Me not wanting to sit there and be fake like, I don't care. I really don't care when your album's coming out. I really don't care about your shoe line. I want to know why you got blonde hair. Are you in the sunken place? Like, that. I want to talk to you about those things. Because I'm a yeah. fan at the end of the day. I'm a supporter mm -hmm. of these artists. I'm not going to sit around and act like we're not just watching them do dumb stuff. Like, I want to just, let's get to it. Yeah. Have you seen Kanye since? Yeah, I've seen Kanye. I mean, he came back to the Breakfast Club uh, maybe like a year later. Last time I saw Kanye was at the MTV Awards. Yeah. Like, that was last year. Yeah. And, you know, I was sitting like 10, 15 rows behind him, but he came up and was, was chopping it up with me. It was funny because we was actually having a conversation about Tiana Taylor because that's when he debuted oh. the Tiana Taylor oh. video. And, and if you, the second time he came to the Breakfast Club, I asked him, I'm like, yo, why are you not pushing Tiana? Tiana's... Dope. Dope. Yeah. Like, That's Tiana's true. super talented. She can sing, she can dance, she's pretty. Like, people like her. And he was like, yo, I know he said it in the interview, but then when, when he came, he was like, see, I'm finally pushing Tiana. And he told me straight up, he was like, yo, I got, he's like, I got to stand next to a black woman. He was like, he was like, I ain't stood next to a black woman in a minute. They ain't seen me with a black woman in a minute. Like, he said that. And I just thought that was funny. Yeah. And um, that was, that was the last time I seen him. Yeah. I got to ask, have you seen Birdman? No, I never saw Birdman before that. <laughs> I never had met, I, that was the first oh my and hopefully last time I ever met Birdman in my life. I never had ran into him anywhere, never been in the same building as him, nothing. Like, and, and, but you know, I even knew that was going to be something crazy because they called me two weeks prior. Like, you always know when artists are about to jump out the window. Like they literally had called me two weeks prior. I never forget, it was like 4.30 in the morning. Malcolm from Universal hit me. I think Malcolm still working at Universal. I know he works for Cash Money in some form. And Malcolm was like, yo, uh, Stunner want to come on the show in a couple weeks. He just want to make sure you're going to be there. Yeah, I'm going to be there. Like, I'm always my there. job. Yeah, why would not be there? I mean, I understand, you know, I might be running around a little bit now, but why would not be there? So I just knew it was going to be something. And it's like, oh, he walked in with all those goons and, you know, he was sitting in the lobby and Eminem Lose Yourself was playing. And he was, I'm dead serious. I do not know where this song was. I don't know if it was on the radio or what, but Eminem Lose Yourself was playing and he was pacing back and forth. 
And I remember telling everybody, like, make sure all the cameras are rolling because I don't want to miss a moment of this good content. I just, I just knew it. And as soon as he walked in from the, from the door, like, y'all didn't miss nothing. Like, I had the cameras rolling five minutes prior before he walked in. Y'all didn't miss a beat from the door. It wasn't no hello. wasn't no what's up. I want to talk all tree, y'all. Stop playing with my motherfucking name. Put some respect on my name. That was it. That was literally it. But that's iconic. Like, that is. interview is now can go down in like pop culture history because it was. You can't fake stuff like yeah. that. Like, like, somebody asked me, how do you get those moments? You don't. Like, you get those moments by being your true, authentic self. And what I mean by that is, I historically would always say, why would you sign the Birdman when he don't pay his artists? Like, why would you? Why, who would sign the Birdman in 2017 when he has a history of not paying? Anybody, yeah. right? And then, I, you know, of course, we would make the jokes about him and Wayne being the stars of the hip-hop notebook because they kiss and stuff, but <laughs> it's like, like, that's all it was. That was yeah. always my comment. And the fact, I didn't think he was a good rapper, like, but, so, like, that was just me always being true and authentic, and he couldn't stand it. One other thing before we open it up for questions, so you guys start thinking about questions, is being speaking of being true and authentic, one thing I was surprised to read in your book is your love of your wife. And you know, you hear it. My black there. wife. You yes. at the essence. Not even, not even a Tyrese type black wife. Black. Okay? My wife got full dreads right now. All right. Okay. But it's a I mean, it's there were some moments where I was like, oh my God, did he just say what I think he said, you know, when you talked about the those circles that you guys would make. You you didn't have an open relationship, but maybe you had an open relationship and she didn't. But like, but now that you're married, so can you just walk us through quickly? Like, yeah, I mean, that I've been moment you, you fell in love with her. I've been with my wife since 1998. Wow. She's my childhood sweetheart. Like, we're from the same hometown, Mount Corner, South Carolina. First time I ever filled out internship papers at a radio station, she drove me down there in her little 1970-something two-door Datsun that was passed down by her father. And um, like, yeah, I mean, it's not even. It wasn't the fact that we had open relationships. We was just young. Like we've been together since teenagers, so it's like she went off to college. College is most women's whole face. You know what I'm saying? Like that's when you go and you live life. Like it's not a like you, you're sexually free. Like I was doing dirt, she was doing her dirt, and it was just like. But she was always been my friend, you know. So it's just like when you really love somebody, and that's really your friend, you're going to accept those kind of things. Now we neither one of us would accept them now. You know, but at the time, yeah. So it's just like, she's just always somebody that's been there for me, supported me, held me down. And she's like, she's been the one constant in my life, even up to this point. And it's like, she makes my life so much easier because she just, she holds things down. She helps me help us. And I help her help us. And, you know, she's, a, she's black. <laughs> I'm to keep throwing that out there. That's, that's another reason it pisses me off when people say like Charlamagne hates black women. I'm like, how? Like, <laughs> I live with three. Hey, I'm yeah. not the brother out here, and that, no, no disrespect to anybody out here with a white woman, but that ain't me. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of brothers out here that got white women. I ain't. I'm not one of them. You know, what I mean, I love my sisters. Like, I don't have a white mom. Like, I'm, like, but yeah, that's my that's, that's my heart. And I, I talk about the the proposal in the book because the proposal is so dope. If I do say so myself. And it's funny because, um, like, in, in writing this book, I learned that I didn't know a lot about my mom and father as, as opposed to as far as, like, what they did before they were my parents. And I think that's one thing a lot of us don't know. I mean, maybe y'all do. I didn't. I'm like, damn, yeah, your, your parents did have a life before you. Yeah. So it's like when I was writing the book and I was like, how did my mom and dad meet? And how did he propose? Like, I didn't know none of that. And I kind of wanted to have that discovery with the reader, like I didn't want to fake it and call my mom and dad because it wouldn't be genuine. I'd rather just tell how I felt because I feel like that made me a better parent because I tried. I started telling my daughter about things that would happen before she was even here. I mean, she did. When my daughter heard I was in jail, she was like, "What? You was in jail?" And then like I took her to Anguilla, which is like my favorite place to go vacation. That's why actually I proposed to my wife. So I broke the whole thing down, and my daughter showed her exactly why I proposed. So I'm like, "Look, when you get older." If whoever you fall in love with not doing it like this, you know, they not the guy for you. So Damn. I had to set that standard. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I had to set that standard. Yeah. I'm raising a nice, beautiful, black, elitist 
daughter yes. <laughs> who thinks she's better than everybody. And that's the mentality I want her to have. I don't want her to dim her lights for no one. I want the bar to be real set. My, my wife is always like, She's going to be so spoiled. So what? We had uh, Bill Bellamy on the show a few weeks ago, and he talked about how his kids, he's always telling his kids, like, yo, I'm from the hood. And they're like, well, what hood? And (laughs) the only hood I know is Abercrombie. Um, So how does that, like, your children are watching your success right in front of you, and you've probably given them a much more, you know, economically, um, the life that you didn't have that life. So Mm -hmm. how was that, raising girls like that? Oh man, it's it's um, it's I, I'm not gonna lie, it's not tough because you know, money helps everything. It's yeah. tough with diversity. It's very tough with diversity. I mean, that's a constant conversation in our house because like my daughter's like one of maybe three black people in our school, and I just don't know how healthy that is. That's why I love that episode of Blackish when they showed that because that was just like so real, and it's just like. You know, me and my wife are having conversations like, do we join Jack and Jill? Like, you know, we gotta, you gotta have play dates with other, other, other black families and stuff like that. Just because I feel like it's very important for her to have that identity. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not forcing anything on her because it's dope. Like, I remember she just had to do a project a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot she had to do a project about a, I forgot what the exact project was, but I just know what she chose Egypt. I'm like, yes. It's you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 so we, we can have those conversations. I'm giving her, like, her, her role, she loves gymnastics, so her role models are people like Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles, so she's read their autobiography. So it's just, it's very important for me to have that diversity, you know, of, of I want her to have diversity, but I want her to have her blackness, too. So it's just about how much do you force? I don't want to force it on her. You know what I'm saying? I want her to discover it on her own, but I want her to know you are a, Princess, you know what I'm saying? You are a queen. I want don't be don't be ashamed, especially when you are at a school where it's all white people. Like I don't want her to look around and feel like she's inferior in any way, like, yeah. you know. But then it's frustrating too because it's just like she's running track, and I'm. Her, I remember her I just just happened. Like her mom had just did her hair, so it's like you know she had she, she had her braids out, so she put a pink scarf on. And mm-hmm. You go to track practice. As soon as we walk up, yo, it's like. Eight white girls all touching her hair. Like, yo, stop touching her hair. What are y'all touching her hair for? Like, this is me. I'm like, what are y'all telling them do that? Why are y'all touching her hair? I'm telling her, don't let them touch your hair. I don't care who. Yeah, yes, you, all you parents watching, I am that guy. Why are you touching my daughter's hair? Like, what is the point? But then it's like, I got it. And as soon as my, because my wife was parking the car, and as soon as she parked the car. No, because I had, you know, my wife was parking the car, so I jumped out because she was kind of late for track practice, which is, I hate that too, because we like the only black family. So it's like, we, so I had to walk her up there. And then when my wife walked up, I'm like, see, we got to get her out of this school. Like, why are all of these white girls touching her freaking head? Like, I don't like that. So I got to explain to her, like, that they, they can't keep their hands off you because you're special. Mm-hmm. But don't let them touch your head because it's special. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, that's the biggest, that's the biggest uh, challenge is just the dealing with that that she's the only black girl in these situations. Like, I hate that. Like, I, you read about all of these great, you know, communities like Black Wall Street and like, uh, I forgot, I think it was called Seneca here in New York. You're like, damn, why we don't have that no more? Why, do you, mm-hmm. why don't we have these black communities with- Weeksville in Brooklyn. Yeah, mm-hmm. like why we don't have that anymore? Like why, it, it's not, no disrespect, it's not dope to me to be the only black family on the block, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's not fly to me. Like, I would much rather look out and see somebody that look like me as my neighbor. I like diversity, don't get me wrong, but it's just like, I don't know what that will do to her in the future, because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up like that, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So you want to keep that, that balance of blackness all across the board. Nice. Time for questions? Questions? Uh-oh, <laughs> D. Brown has one. Danielle Brown, since it's a, the live podcast. <laughs> Charlamagne, I'm a big fan. I listen to supporter you every day. Supporter of Danielle. Oh, okay. Well, Thank I'm you. a big supporter. <laughs> Danielle Brown, yes, I'm a big supporter. Um, I listen to you every morning on my way to work. Um, some things I agree with, some things I don't. But the reason I raise my hand first is because um, I grew up in the hood, but I went to a predominantly white school. So I wanted to talk to you right now about what you just said about your daughter because, um, first of all, I appreciate your love of women, what you just said, and I appreciate the role that you're playing in your father in your daughter's life right now. I was the only black girl in um, my graduating class, um, but like I said, I grew up in the hood. My mother and my family did everything that they could to put me in the situation that I was in. I turned out amazing. 
She is. She is amazing. But my blackness was never an issue. I was also the president of my graduating class. And so that you know, I believe that the reason why they were all in her hair is there's wonder about what it is to be black, you know, and um, the way that she's dealing with it, if she was just dealing with it, that means she's dealing with it. You know, she's mm -hmm. probably making more of an impression on them than they are on her. True. Um, and so I think that the balance that I had with my family and I graduated and went to Hampton University. It was very important for me to go to a black school. I'm not saying that that's what your daughter's gonna do, but for me, you know, and I watched the Cosby show and all of that growing up, so that was very important to me. But I just wanted you to know that as one of the only black girls in my school, I turned out okay because my parents and my family and my community was very, very instrumental in my life as well. So school is just a portion of Dope. I, that's, that's, I need to hear that because that's, that's what my wife always says. We black enough for so that's that's that is very uh, good for me to hear. And that's what I do tell my daughter. That's why I mean, you know, I know people look at my title and they be like, oh, that's you know so controversial, but it's not. I just really feel like it's a privilege to be black. I feel like it's an honor to be black. So that's what I tell her, you are special. That's why they, you know, can't keep their hands off you and want to gravitate towards you. Nice. So while we wait for the next question, I do want to ask you about Charlemagne the God, the name, and it does come from five, the 5% 5 nation. And mm -hmm. as Tyrese would say, what are some things that are misconstrued about 5% five, 5 of nation? <laughs> Oh, what are some things that are misconstrued? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I know for me, the biggest uh, obstacle that I faced, because I mean, I, I grew up with so many different religious beliefs because like my mother was a Jehovah Witness and my grandmother was a Baptist and then my father started studying Islam and would always have me watching, you know, Minister Farrakhan videos and reading Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad. And, um, so for the 5% teachings, like when I, when I started getting into them, they, first of all, they were great for me because they just reinforced in me the greatness of being a black man. I mean, that's just a crazy thought when you think about it. It's like, yo, a black man has to believe he's God just to get by. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like just, like, just to wake up and feel like you belong in this country, you got to think that you're God. And I, and I, and I just felt, I did feel like that. I felt like I was a, an extension of a, div of a divine, divine being. But I think the biggest, uh, I think the biggest misconception might be that they, they hate white people. Because, you know, when you say the white man is the devil, that's like a, 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 a big statement. So I don't think that they actually hate white people. I know that's one of the things that made me be like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, I'm with it, but I'm not with it because I don't believe anybody is inherently evil. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't believe anybody is inherently evil. I just feel like we're led astray because of power or, or money or, or anything. So that was one of the things that just made me fall back. But I, I'm, I've kind of fell back from like all religions, period. But I, if I had to say what was one big misconception, it was that they hate white people. It's not that they hate white people. They just recognize white people as being the devil based off the things that white people have done to different communities in this world. We have a question here. What's going on, Charlemagne? I'm, I'm AD. What's up, um, AD? I'm a big supporter. I listen to the show also, and I'm Thank you. the brilliant idiots as well. Um, I always wanted to say to Charlemagne, we live. Uh, nah, but <laughs> <laughs> that was the first Birdman moment. <laughs> My question is, and I'm building off to that question, um, the number eight in the 5% the nation means to build. Build and, and destroy, um, baby. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed is that you're building an empire, you know what I mean, between the Brilliant Idiots and then um, with Nori's podcast and then the Reed and then, you know, you're... you're becoming a mogul in front of our eyes. So I just want to know what's next. You know what I'm saying? Everybody says that you're very strategic. So what's the next, what's coming up next in the next five years? Well, I can't, I definitely can't take credit for the read. Kip Fury and Crystal, uh, they was around before I was doing podcasts, but the network that um, I'm, I'm on, Loudspeaker Network, you know, I've, I've helped bring other shows to that network, but the read is what launched that network, period. The read and Combat Jack show. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that's what made it easier for me to be like, you know what, yeah, I'll be affiliated with the, the Loudspeaker Network. But then, you know, of course, we bought Taxstone on and, you know, Angela Yee's over there, Envy. We about to launch Angela Rise soon, like different things like that. But, um, you know, exclusive. I just... Did you just give us an exclusive? Well, she, I think she actually tweeted that yesterday. Oh, okay. She's coming out with All a right. podcast. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, no, nah, she said, Angela Rye definitely has a podcast coming. Yeah. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, it's just like for me, I just want to be a multimedia mogul. And the reason I want to be a multimedia mogul, because Malcolm X once said that, you know, the person who controls the media controls the minds of the masses. And I feel like it's very important for us to have those various platforms because we can control our narratives and we can put on the voices that we need to hear. You know, we need to put on the voices that can empower us and uplift us and enlighten us. I mean, even when I put out that tweet about, you know, it'd be dope if a, if a, woman, if a woke woman of color had a, had a platform to, you know, control our narrative and, and become a voice like Tommy Lauren did. I wasn't saying I want anybody to be like Tommy Lauren. That's what I was talking about, infrastructure. You know, we need those infrastructures. We need these podcasts. We need these online TV shows. Like, we live in an era right now where we can really control our narrative. It's never been like this. It, you know, they used to could do media blackouts, meaning they could just say, hey, you know what? Don't show this on the East Coast because these Negroes are rioting on the West Coast. So if they start rioting on the West Coast, the people on the East Coast might be inspired. They used to literally do media blackouts. Guys like Minister Farrakhan were blacked out by the media. They did not want to be heard. Like, if you see, like, the resurgence of people like Minister Farrakhan, it's because of the Internet. It's because they're able to have these, their own platforms or go on these shows, you know, where, where people aren't afraid, like, like The Breakfast Club. So it's just like we need to have as much control of the media as we possibly can. So like for me, I just want to be that multimedia mogul. Like I love what, I love how Steve Harvey has all of these various platforms. You know, whatever Steve chooses to use those platform, f platforms for is up to him. I know what I'm going to use mine for. So that's what I want. I want to be a multimedia mogul. Next question. Hi, my hey. name is Courtney. Hey, Courtney. Um, so I know that you said that you've been fired a lot of times. Four from radio, <laughs> seven in life. Okay. <laughs> what would you tell someone who also was like in your position, who's been fired, who feels down, who doesn't know how to get, you know, back on their feet and like how you are now, like you're very successful. How, what would you tell to like a person who's also in that position? You know, it's a... It's, it's, it's one thing, you know, my, I, got, I got a homegirl named Kendra G. Kendra G does morning radio on uh, WGCI in Chicago, real good friend of mine. And the last time I got fired was from Philadelphia. And I remember Kendra calling me one day and Kendra saying, look, I want you, you're back in South Carolina, I want you to spend as much time as you can at home because when you get back in position, you're not gonna have no time. And you know, you're sitting there on the phone, you're like, oh, you're such a great friend, telling me everything I want to hear, trying to make me feel better. <laughs> but then she said something that clicked with me, and I, and I write about it in the book because I never forgot this. She said, look, every time you've gotten fired, they've told you, we want to move in another direction. She said, it's not them moving you in another direction, it's God moving you in another direction. And I truly feel that way because I feel like a lot of times we be on a good path, but we don't realize that's not God's path for us. So a lot of times we get fired and when we're fired, we're forced to move the way God wants us to move anyway. And even if you don't believe in God, you're forced to move in another direction. So it's just like a lot of times we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we were for that moment. Like, this isn't what we were supposed to be doing for the rest of our lives. Like, everything happens for a reason. It's, it's, it's levels. It's steps. Like, you were in this position to learn a little bit of something. So when you get to that next uh, level, you got what you learned here, and you can just build on that. And, I mean, honestly, that's how I looked at it. I never, even before Kendra told me that, my mindset was always like, I mean, there's got to be something else out there for me. I was I was 20-something years old. Like, I'm that's not the end of my life. Like, I don't plan to die anytime soon. Like, this, this isn't it. The first time I got fired, I felt like that because I never had experienced that. Like, the first time I got fired from Hot 98.9 in Charleston, South Carolina, I never had experienced that. But I, I talk about it in the book. The reason I know I got fired is because I was misusing the platform. Like, I was, I was really wilding. Like, I, I want y'all to read the book, but I mean, I, 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 I just... I, I was making a girl prostitute herself because she was a listener of the radio station. I never had, I never had that kind of power. Like, like, like what? She was like, I'll do anything Charlemagne tells me to do. Like, what? Because of the radio? So it's just like I really, I, I felt like when I got fired, I got fired because I had misused my platform. I talk about that in the book. So I feel like as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, 
and it's positive and you're putting out positive energy and you did the best you can you could when you was at whatever place of employment you were at and you was putting out positive energy, when you get let go, you just got to look at it as a sign of, you know what, God just wants me to do something else. So you just got to remain open to that. So that's always my mindset. Like, it's never the end. It's just the end of this situation. Like, I don't put periods of things. It's a comma. Hey, now. Sydney, last question. Okay. <laughs> Sydney. So um, my question is, you've said some problematic, like misogynistic things before, and social media is always quick to call you out, but do the women in your life like give you feedback about this? And like raising a daughter, like do you think twice before you say these things now? Or Yeah, I mean, um, my, 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 my wife has definitely checked me. Um, I don't like the word misogyny, though, I'm gonna tell you why. Misogyny means you're trying to keep your foot on a woman's neck and you don't look at her as equal. I've never done that. Now, have I been a pervert and said some, like, yo, you got a fat ass, stuff like that? Absolutely. And my wife was like, you cannot be talking like that and, you know, be my husband. Just forget this act. Because the truth to the matter is, she probably knows it's not an act and she, you know, just wants, <laughs> you know, she just wanted me to straighten up in my life, which I have. You know, I'm fully focused right now. I'm keeping my penis to myself. And because, because I feel like, you know, I feel like when you out here doing the doing the wrong things, like when you got somebody at home that holds you down and loves you and you out here creeping with other chicks, we think we just having sex with women, but we really just bringing a bunch of bad energy into our lives. And then it's just like you looking in the person that you love's eyes and you're lying and you're creeping around and then you wonder why things ain't really good at home. It's your fault. So for me, it's an easy trade. I cut all that off and just focus on what I'm supposed to be focused on and everything's great at home. So she definitely used to check me about, you know, certain things that I would say about women, you know, and if you, if you have really been paying attention, you notice that my rhetoric has been changed. I don't ask girls if I can suck a fart out their butt no more. Like, I don't. I, have, I, I don't. I'm not sniffing J-Lo's chair. I'm not sniffing chairs. Like I got, and it's because of all of that. It's because of my wife. It's because of my daughter. It's because I'm just I'm grown now. Like I, did, I, I look back at stuff I used to do. I'm like, that motherfucker, that is crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, it's just, so it's just like, yo, you got to allow people to grow. Like That's why I encourage everybody to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. There's no better book about growth in the world. Like I tell people all the time, like you can't judge people because Malcolm X was once Malcolm Little. You don't know how somebody's going to grow, how somebody's going to evolve. Me, I've, I'm always receptive to growth. That's one of the principles in the book. Give people the credit they deserve for being stupid, including yourself. Because the know-it-all knows nothing. So every day I'm an empty cup. I wake up receptive to new information. I'm listening to everybody. I'm not ignoring people. Like, when, like even now, like I'm, I literally was on Instagram yesterday because some I think it was like Fashion Bomb Daily put out some pictures of me from a fashion shoot. And there was a girl who was like, I, we, I can't hear him over all the misogyny he's put out. And I'm like, what? tell me what, I want to know. I need details too, because I don't want to make those mistakes again. Mm -hmm. So like, But I do want to push back a little bit. Okay. That tweet about black women should be creating um, platforms like Tommy Loren. I mean, I think I saw it and I had a visceral reaction. Like, what does he mean black women should be putting on uh, platforms, creating platforms the way mm -hmm. she has, because I feel like there's a record of black women doing that. What exactly did you mean by that tweet? I meant infrastructure. I mean, that was one tweet, but it was other tweets after that before even I came back to my phone and was like, what the hell did I just do? But I, there was other tweets where I was giving examples. I was like, yo, we need online news networks. We need something like the Young Turks. You know, we need online political pundits. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, we got women with platforms. Like, people was tweeting me things like, oh, Karen Civil, and, um, you know, look what Issa Rae did. I'm like, yo, I'm not talking about entertainment. Like, I'm talking about online news pundits. Like, we needed a, vo we needed a voice like Angela Rye, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was the best thing that came out of that situation that night was the fact I met Angela Rye. I didn't know who she was. So it was just, wow. yeah, so it was just like for me, like I said, I'm not above getting checked by my community because I learned something new that night. I learned, number one, every conversation shouldn't be had via social media. Like you should, you have to, like I got radio and podcasts. Things can be explained to more nuance, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, so, so a question like you just asked me would have been answered, you know, in on the radio. And um, number two is just like, 
I mean, I already I knew this. You got to leave black women the hell alone. Like, that's just like, <laughs> and you know what's so funny? I had been saying that, if you can, you can go listen to old Brilliant Idiots podcast, old Breakfast Club, Uncommon Sense. I had been saying that for two years. I had been like, you don't want 100 crystals coming at you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you don't want you don't want that problem. Like you got to be very careful with how you deal with black women, and rightfully so, because y'all have been through so much. So y'all ain't with the shits now. And I, and, and and me and Jesus used to always play. Salute to Jesus and Meryl. Me and Jesus used to always play on uncommon sense just to bother Crystal. So Jesus would be like, Charlamagne don't like black women. I'd be like, Jesus don't like black women, just to see how Crystal would react. And I'm like, Yo, this shit really happened. Like. Like, what I was warning people of happened to me, mm-hmm. which is good, because if I'm telling people to stay off crack, and then you actually smoke crack and realize <laughs> crack will really fuck you up. <laughs> when, now, when I tell y'all to leave black women alone, y'all better listen to me, because yeah, they will really jump on your ass. But that's, that's another thing I was saying, too, man. I don't feel like women of color understand the power that they have on social media. I think they're getting it now. You know, um, I feel like a lot, in a lot of cases, women of color are that first line of defense. When something happens, in our community, like they, 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 they don't play. Like you, they snap the whip quick. Like they, people are getting fired and losing their jobs and losing sponsorships. And I feel like that is the type of power I was saying that we have. Like I feel like in a lot of ways we empowered Tommy Lauren because we would talk about her so much. And I feel like we kind of helped her ship rise. So I'm like, yo, why don't we do that with people that we actually love, people that actually are benefiting us with their voices. We do it, we did it with Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. Every week Insecure was trending number one. You do it with Scandal. You do it with all Shonda Rhimes shows, so let's do that with somebody who is actually benefiting us. You really do gotta understand the power of your voice. That's something I'm even really learning nowadays. We gotta watch what we give energy to. Like sometimes you do have to ignore certain things and ignore certain people, because we, we live in that era where it's just like we lifting them we lifting them up now. People like that kind of stuff. Like any publicity is good publicity to some people. All right. So last thought. Thank you. But um, one of the two things I love about the book is when you talk about when you're stuck, you like to reconnect with your core. Mm-hmm. I'm a Southern girl. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that you will go back, literally go back to South Where Carolina. You from? My family's from Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, wow. Okay. Texas in the house. What? <laughs> I was like, one uh, person from Texas. I know. One. <laughs> Shut up, Yolanda. Oh, two. <laughs> two people. You know I love Yolanda. Yolanda representing Johannesburg, <laughs> Joe Bird up here. All right, but um, but I think to leave the audience with when you write about when someone tells you don't dream too big, and you said in the book that that's a very poisonous thought to put in the mind of a young person. Can you talk? About yeah, that? I mean it's two principles. Like a lot of people, are, like I got one principle in my book called "Fuck Your Dreams." Right. But the reason is fuck your dreams is fuck your dreams when they're not your dreams. Because, like, you know, when you are a young black man, a woman and and growing up in the hood, the people you see who are successful are usually in entertainment and athletics. We both we all gravitate towards those fields. But that's not your dream. That's just something you see working for somebody else. So I I encourage people to find out what 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 their true passion is. At the time, um, I had found my true passion, which was radio. And I'm sitting in the kitchen and I'm talking about how, oh, I love radio, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I had a cousin aunt, because I'm from the country, so we got cousin aunt. She's not really my, she's not really my, she's not really my cousin aunt. She's like my mom's cousin, but she's like my cousin's aunt. (laughs) So she's a cousin aunt. And um, she heard me talking, and she walked in, and she was like, you know, you shouldn't set your goals so high, because if you don't, if you don't achieve them, you're going to be disappointed. And I'm like, that's the dumbest shit. <laughs> like, that's really the dumbest shit I ever heard in my life. So it's just like, you have to dream big. Because guess what? Even if you don't touch what you want to touch, you're going to touch something. Like, if, I, if I'm thinking all the way to 10, and I get to 7, I might be cool with 7 if I come from 0. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, you have to dream big, especially being a minority in this country, uh, you know, being a woman in this country, or being, being anything that has been oppressed and marginalized in this country. How else are we supposed to feel? Like, you know, we have to think like we can accomplish anything because everything is against us. So if we don't dream big and feel like we can, you know, shatter every glass ceiling out there, then what is, what is, what is the point? So like that was just my thing, you know. That's why I love books, cause books and hip hop, like the transformative power of books and the transformative power of music, is what made me transcend my circumstances. And I just had to have those big, lavish dreams. That's why, in a lot of ways, it's good that the imaging hip hop put out, 
like this big lavish lifestyle because it made you just really feel like, whoa, the impossible is really possible because these brothers are from the hood just like us, but that don't necessarily mean you got to be a rapper to do that, you know what I'm saying? That's why I always tell people success is subjective. Like that's, that's, that's my, new, my new thing I'm on because I feel like in America we've put such a emphasis on celebrity that when people think success, they think it has to be money or it has to be fame. Like that's what they equate success with. And I'm like, nah, man, it's a guy driving around Fort Worth, Texas making 60 grand a year. Maybe not even that, 50 grand a year, but his, his family's straight and he's happy. Like, that's what success is. Are you doing what makes you happy? Like, that's the biggest thing I think everybody should be trying to go after. Do things that make you happy. That is true success to me. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Charlamagne. Thank you, Thanks to our guest, Charlemagne the God. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Yes, yes Girl. Girl, such as our conversations with Megan Good and Devon Franklin, Niecy Nash, and Tiny. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. Bob, our producer, we love you. Hey, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.